0: To do my best to explain how great God is, but my words just can't do it. It's not, none of our words could possibly describe it. Our minds can't comprehend it. Just is good as you can think, or as best you can. He's even better than that. And that's a great thing about our God. We'll go to your Bibles today and take the Book of Second Corinthians, Chapter Nine. 2 Corinthians, Chapter Nine. Of course. We're going on with our theme—a time to plant. We want to see God do some great things. And last week we looked in the Bible and we saw that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you're sowing some good things in your life, you're going to reap some good things. Same thing if you're sowing bad things, you're going to reap some bad things. We cannot get away from that. Uh, But at the same, so while that part of that's scary. The other part's exciting. If you are sowing something, you're going to reap something, and that is a blessing. And today I want to talk about, specifically about sowing bountifully. And in 2 Corinthians, we're going to go through the whole chapter, but right now I just want to read one verse. In verse 6, it says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also Bountifully, let's pray. Lord, we come to You this morning just asking You to meet with us. Lord, it's, Lord, I'm so thankful for everyone that's here. I'm so thankful for this opportunity to be able to preach. To these dear folks, but Lord, everything that we do here today, it's all in vain, Lord, without Your presence, without Your hand on it. Lord, I'm asking that Your hand will be in the service today, that You will speak through me in this message. Lord, I pray that folks won't hear me today, they'll hear You, they'll hear Your Word. I pray Your Holy Spirit will speak to their hearts, and I pray that we will all come away today challenged, Lord, and motivated to, to sow bountifully for You. In Your name we pray. Amen. He was so sparingly. So I reap sparingly. This goes right along with the verse that we read last week. I mean, he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Basically, you reap what you sow. I mean, this verse it's it's kind of repeated. Uh, it's kind of almost repeating what we talked about last week. But I want us to talk specifically about sowing bountifully because too many times, uh, I think a lot of times, folks, I think most of us, we would like to. See God do a lot. I imagine most people here, you know, you would prefer uh, a large harvest rather than a small harvest. You know, I think most of us here, we would prefer a large paycheck over a small paycheck. But, um, you know, at the same time, uh, you got a better chance of that if you were working 40 hours instead of just four hours. And you've got to sometimes put in the extra time and the extra effort if you want the bigger things. And the Corinthian church, it was doing what God wanted. The Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, it was a not a very good church. Uh, they were a lot of stuff going on there that was not right. A lot, they had a lot of problems. But in 2 Corinthians, they had gotten things right. They had had a revival in that church. They were doing some good things, and they were uh, this church. It was a, it was a good church. It was a giving church. And we're going to read through this chapter and see what it was they were doing. Because listen, if the Corinthian church was doing something and God was blessing them in a great way for it. I don't think God is going to be different with us if we do the same thing. I think God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's going to be like, well, I did that for the Corinthian church, but for a Liberty Baptist church, I'm not going to do that for you. That's something I just did way back then. Have you ever heard people say that? You know, Well, I know God used to do miracles. I know God used to do that stuff a long time ago, but He doesn't do it anymore. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that, and I don't think the Bible does either. But let's look at verse 1 and let's see what this church was doing. What was it that was going on there that caused God to bless them so much? We see in verse 1, "...for us touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many." Yet have I sent the brethren uh, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, that are prepared we that we say not ye should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make it beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as they're a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. One of the things that we see that they were doing here is they were ministering to the saints. They were ministering to the saints. For as touching as ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you. It almost wasn't even necessary. Paul's writing to them about it. He's going to talk to them about it. But it really wasn't necessary because these people, they were already doing it. They were already ministering to the saints. They were already taking care of God's people. I mean, they were good at it. Paul told other people. He used this church as an example of it. And they, I mean, they were, they were doing the job, ministering to the saints. That's one of, uh, that's one of my jobs as, as a pastor or as a minister. I'm, as a minister of the church. You minister to the needs. A pastor, it's not this, uh, you know, it's not supposed to be this position of, that's just way up there that, everybody supposed you know looks up to and is the boss is supposed to be really the servant. I mean the main servant in the church and it's supposed to minister to the needs of others. And this but not just the pastor, other people too in the church. We minister to the needs of each other. You help people out and that's something this church did And We ought to strive to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean for example the spiritual needs or the emotional needs We've talked about this before. I know y'all all know this, but uh everybody's got different things that they're dealing with in their life. There's different challenges that they're facing. There's different needs that they have. there's I mean we don't know what everybody's going through, and that's why it's so important to be a part of the house of God and go to church and get to know each other. And I tell you one of the things that it's one great thing about getting to know other people and about trying to meet the needs of other people is it kind of helps you forget about yours sometimes. In fact, really, our needs, when we're only thinking about our needs, I mean, they are huge, aren't they? I mean, they're the biggest challenge in the world. I mean, who cares about the national debt? Hey, I've got a, I've got a need. I've got something going on. You know, who cares about the wars? I'm facing a war in my own life. Who cares about any of these things? That's how it is to us. And boy, we can get caught up in those things and it can, it can really get us down. And there may be people here today that are down and just need some lifting up boy, we've got to pay attention to that. And I tell you, it's very important as a church that we make sure that we do that. When we have people come in here that we try to find out what the needs are and to try to meet them. Because I'm here to tell you that if we don't, there may be somebody else that does. And it may be somebody who's not really preaching the Word of God like they should. It might be somebody who doesn't teach the true way to salvation. And that person, maybe they come and they're just looking for a friend. And boy, we need to be the one that we need to be we ought to be the friendliest church in town. Because listen, there's some friendly churches you can go to, very friendly churches, that aren't preaching the word of God. But a lot of times folks that come in, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking they're just looking for that friendship. They're looking for something we ought to find out what it is. I'm not saying we all get nosy and everything, but boy, just just try to be there. One of the best ways to find out what other people need is just think, hey, what do I need? What is it that I want when I come to church? What is it that I'm looking for? I already said one time that there was a person who went to their pastor and said, "Pastor, I'm gonna, I'm leaving the church. I'm not ever gonna come back again." The pastor said, "Why not?" I said, "I came to church and not one person shook my hand." Now you know that shouldn't have happened, but at the same time, that pastor he looked, he looked at that person. And he said, "Listen, well, why don't you make it your job?" to make sure that never happens to anybody else in this church. Really, that person, they were looking for their own needs instead of thinking about the needs of other people. And that's the way we ought to be. thinking. What is it that you feel like you're missing when you come to this church? What is it that you think there ought to be more of? What is it that you want other people to do for you? Go and try to do that for somebody else. Make sure that's there. Ministering. To the saints, it's so important, not just the spiritual needs, but even the physical needs. James chapter two, verse fourteen. I think Baptist boy, we need this, we need this verse as bad as anybody in the world. James chapter two and verse fourteen. If I can find James. Says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Imagine somebody comes into this church. I know this kind of thing happens all the time. They come in. They're hungry. They're hungry for food. Okay, Not spiritually. They're hungry for real food. They haven't eaten in a long time. And boy, they come in and they're in the Baptist church. Boy, and these people are spiritual there. And they come in and they're hungry. Their stomach's ground. And they, they, they tell us they're, they're, they're hungry. They're humble. And they say, hey, I need food. I need something to eat. Oh, well, brother, let me pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, you help this person to have faith that You can feed him. Help him to have faith that You can provide for his needs. And Lord, send him on his way and help him to not have this feeling of hunger. In doubt, Amen, brother. We prayed for it. Everything's gonna be fine. You you, head, you go your way, and everything's gonna be all right. I have faith. Well, you know what? What he needs right now isn't faith. He needs food. And it doesn't matter how much faith I have. If there's no works with it, then it really isn't anything. Listen, if I really, if I really do have faith that God can feed that person, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna feed him. I might even do without a little myself. I'll be the one. Hey, you. Know, we're gonna go for lunch. You wanna you wanna come with us? We'll take you. That's me having faith. With works. Faith without works, it's dead. It's absolutely pointless. Somebody comes in, they, they've got a need. Their, their car is broken down. They don't know how they're gonna get home. Oh, let's let's go, we're gonna go pray over your car. Pray that God starts it up. Hey, you know, you know what he needs? He's needs a mechanic. And I I I'm not I'm not trying to be unspiritual here. That's what a lot of people do. They always go and they seem like they have so much faith, but there's never any works. And that person's got a need. Listen, I'm sorry you got a flat tire. You can pray for that tire, but it needs changed. All right, they're going to need. They might need some help. Some lady's out there on the road. She's there at some old lady. She's parked on the side of the road. And those jacks that they put in cars, they're almost impossible to jack cars up with those things. They can't do it. And you know, it would be a shame. God would be embarrassed if I was to go pull over, say, ma'am, I see you're in a difficult spot right now. I wonder if you mind if I had prayer with you that God would send somebody along to help you. Hey, God wants me to help her. God wants me to take care of that need. I don't even need to pray about it. I just need to do it, to minister to that need. And boy, sometimes we get so we get so holy and so spiritual, and we're always saying we're praying for everybody, but we never actually do the things that need to be done. And that's what, that's what's needed, that ministering to the saints, this Corinthian church here, they were a church that was, I mean, they were going, they didn't just have faith. They weren't just saying that God was going to do great things and having this great feeling in their heart that God was going to do something wonderful. They, they were doing it. They were putting it into practice. They were, they were giving money to missions. They were helping in these areas. They were meeting the needs of other people. They were ministering. To the saints, and boy, we ought to do that. We ought not forget to do that. But they're good works. And also, it caused other people to do good works. In verse 2, it says, um, I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse 2, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Boy, oh boy, I'm having trouble finding the scriptures today. Verse 2, it says, For I know the frowardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Paul, he's an evangelist. He's going around. He's telling other churches, "Hey, you know, there's this church back in Corinth. You want to see the way they take care of the needs of their people? You want to see the work that these people are putting into each other? And man, this God is blessing this church. This church is doing some great things. And man, they heard about these other churches. Heard about? It, and they're like, you know what? Let's go do the same thing. Why don't we do that? And so, not only was this church in Corinth doing good." Not only was this church in Corinth sowing bountifully for God, other churches, because of them, was doing the same thing. And boy, that's what we ought to be trying to do. If if we start doing some of these things, if we start doing good, it's going to motivate other people. They hear about God-blessing Liberty Baptist Church and they hear about what's going on there. It's going to cause them to do it. And now it's not just us doing the good things, but others are doing it as a result of us. What a blessing that is. Provoking others to do good works. You know, too many times we're provoking others to do evil. Well, that church had a rock concert. Man, they got a big crowd. Well, why don't we do the same thing too? That, nah, but that's not what God wants. But when it comes to doing things God's way and doing things the Bible way, that's what we ought to be provoking other people to do. And to doing right and to do it and to going above and beyond and doing great things. We ought to provoke others to do good. That's why we believe in church attendance. Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty three says let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. Now let's hold fast the profession not wavering. Now don't raise your hand, but I wonder if anybody in here, besides myself, has ever wavered before. Has ever just thought oh man, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm kind of I'm about ready to give up, I'm about ready to call it quits. I don't know if anybody's ever wavered besides me before. Maybe had some doubts. Maybe felt like quitting. But I know many of those times when I felt that in my life, there was one major thing that kept me from giving up and from falling. And that's verse 24. It says, "...and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." I always had other people around me that just kept me going. That kept me motivated. And you know where most of these people have come from? They've come from, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. From the assembling. The church. It's a called out assembly. Today, we are assembling here. And that right there... Has motivated it motivates me all the time. God's people, getting around them, talking to them, getting the encouragement from them. It, I mean, it's a motivator. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, it is encouraging when other people come to the house of God. I mean, I can't even tell I can't even tell you how much it means to me. Just having you here. The motivation that comes from that. Your faithfulness. Every week, it it motivates me. It motivates me to get in the Bible more and to study hard and make sure I've got something. These folks, they're here. They're faithful. They're there every week. I need to make sure that I'm prepared, that I have something that's from God, that I give them the Word of God. It motivates me to study harder. It motivates me to just keep on going and to not quit. It motivates me to, to pray more and to just want to be a better pastor just by having you there. Listen, I I believe... That when we started this church, if nobody would have came, I like to think that we'd still be here. I'd like to think that we'd still be trying, I'd still be out knocking doors, that at least my family would still be here every week. I don't know how we'd pay the bills in the place, but I like to think that we'd still be trying. But I can promise you, had it, that were that the case, I wouldn't be having as much fun as I am today. <laughs> but let me tell you, I'm I enjoy this. You know why? Because of the exhortation I get from God's people. It's an encouragement to me. And you know, you might not be the one, you might not be the pastor, you might not be the one preaching the message, but your motivation that you give me helps me to do what I'm doing. The motivating, you know, there's there's other things that people do in the church. The just, you know, the Sunday school teachers, the nursery workers, those who clean the church. I mean, the the saying. I mean, all the things that people do. It makes it so much easier when there's just other people that are there, just motivating, meeting those needs. It provokes others to good work, and that's what we're supposed to do. That's what this church was doing, and not only that, but this church in Corinthians. And this might surprise you to hear me say this. But this Corinthian church, they were very liberal. What? I thought thought we were, you know, you're conservative, you're fundamental. You're liberal. They were liberal in one area. There's one area in the Bible where you see that it is good to be liberal. And that, we see that in verse 5 of chapter 9. It says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Where have ye had noticed before that same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness? But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Okay, so, so sparingly I mean, you're just trying to be careful with what you have. You're, you don't, you know, you're not going to give any extra. You're just, you're always kind of holding back. All right? you're very tight fisted or you're very, Uh, I guess conservative in that area, but when it comes to giving, okay, not just financially, but giving, uh, physically, just working, that is something where it's okay to be liberal. Verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. In this area, when it comes to giving, God says, hey, do what's in your heart. Do what, do what you feel like doing. Now, we live in a society that they follow that on everything in the world, except for this, where God said, hey, go ahead and do it. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, God wants us to give out of obedience, and He wants us to give out of duty and all that, but He likes it a whole lot more when you're enjoying it. He loves that. When He sees people, man, they're giving and and they they don't care. They don't care where it's going. They're not worried. An example of a liberal giver. I mean, you are would be a one who's not a liberal giver. It would be like if I came to you and I said, "Hey, here's fifty bucks," and then I said, "But I want to know where every single cent of that goes. And if I don't like how you spend it, it's the last time you'll ever see any money from me." A liberal giver. Here, go do whatever you want with it. Go take your wife out on a date. You know, go, on, go, on, go, for, go for a nice dinner. Something like that. That's what a liberal soul does. I heard a story one time about a man who came to the pastor and he was angry. Boy, he, he was upset. And he said, Pastor, he said, I'm upset about this church. It's just wasting money. Pastor, like, we, we are, what are we doing? He said, Pastor, I went and I looked in one of the closets and I saw four brand new brooms sitting in that closet. Why do we need four? brooms we don't need that many there's only one person that cleans the church and there was four that's a waste of money i think pastor i think you need to find out what's going on i think we need to be a little more careful with how we spend our money around here and so the pastor you know he tried to be a nice guy and he goes to the treasurer in the church and he talks to him. he's like hey you know i was just kind of wondering what the deal was with these four brooms doesn't that seem a little excessive we don't really need that that many do we and The treasurer like, well, yeah, I guess we didn't really need four, but you know, really, what's the big deal about that? Well, so and so is pretty upset. He thought that that was just, you know, going a little overboard, that we were wasting money. And I think, I think personally, I think he's being a little extreme. And the treasurer said, well, pastor, so you gotta understand. Just think about this: if all the money that you had given in the last year went to buying four brooms, what would you think? That was all the guy given. He was guy was stingy, and so he he was very conservative, not liberal in it. And when it comes to giving, God wants us to be that way. He wants us to sow bountifully, and He even uses that term in verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by the many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God, for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, you see that throughout the Bible. God likes it when we're liberal in that area, but that is the one area where people are usually very, very conservative. And God wants us to be that way, just because we we just we like helping people. We like being a blessing. You know, sometimes you know, we'll, somebody will go and they'll maybe lend somebody twenty bucks. And then they find out they went and did something fun. It's like they get mad. Like all they were supposed to spend that money on was bread and water. It's like you find out they ate a steak and you get upset. I'm never giving that person any money again. You know, why don't you just go ahead and lighten up a little bit and be a little more liberal in your giving. Don't worry about it. Who cares if they went and bought something that they didn't need? Just give because you're a cheerful giver. Because you enjoy it. So bountifully. But because... Ah, that's what the Bible said. He which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. Okay, it would be like if we had, if we had some seeds here that we were going to plant. Those seeds, you know, we buy, we buy big bags of seeds. While that seed's in the bag, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. If we want to actually produce something with it, we've got to take it, we've got to use it. We ought to want to use every bit of it. Use as much as possible, because the more we sow, the more we're going to reap. We're wanting to sow bountifully. But this, Sowing that they did, this Corinthian church, the things that they did for other people, and I, this is huge. This, I don't think we realize how important this is for us as a church and for us as individuals. But their giving, it caused other people to pray for them. Verse 14, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God, in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You know, these people that they've been helping, they were all praying for that Corinthian church. They're praying for him. And you know what God gave that Corinthian church in return? He gave them grace. And grace is, we know, unmerited favor. That's something that we don't deserve. That's God now it's also God not giving us what we do deserve. I don't know about you, but that's I like that. There's some things that we all deserve that we don't want. And we we want God to shed His grace on us. We want God to be gracious to us. And it sure does help when other people are praying. There were some poor folks out there that they'd been praying for this church. That church helped them and it, it really helped them out and they appreciated it. And when they would go to bed at night and they'd say their prayers, they would mention, Lord, thank You for that. Corinthian church. Lord, they were such a help to us. And God, who cares about those folks more than you and I ever could, He looked at those people and He saw their thankfulness to that Corinthian church. And it blessed God's heart so much. He looked was like, I'm going to bless those folks right back. And let me tell you something, you do the opposite when it comes to the poor and when it comes to those in need. The consequences are severe. Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you want to turn over there, Deuteronomy chapter Twenty-four. There's there's a lot of verses I can go to on this subject. I'm not going to take time to do it, but boy, they ought, they they scare me sometimes. But I think a good way to illustrate this. So before I read the verse, I think every parent appreciates people that are a blessing to their kids. All right, I, I know me. I, I I appreciate people that are a blessing to me and that are kind to me. Well, boy, you, you, you love your kids more than you love yourself, don't you? And when somebody's good to your children, that just puts that person in just a special there's a special place in your heart for them. Even here, I mean, just so many people here that my kids they they love. That they've they've gotten to know and just care about deeply, and that makes me care even more. But boy, let me tell you something though. You make you start hating on my kids and making them hate you. Then it's going to be a little more difficult, especially if you're the one in the wrong. I remember when I was a kid. There was people in our church I didn't like, <laughs> and it wasn't always their fault. We had this lady in our church. She was she was kind of grumpy, and she always sat right in front of us. Always right in front of us. And if I'd start talking to something in church, which I shouldn't have been doing, she would, or she was always right behind me. That's what it was. She was always right behind me, and I would feel this tap on my shoulder, and I turn around. And shh. I mean, just the meanest you can imagine she would do that to me. I was was scared of her. Didn't didn't like her, didn't like her at all, but I I, I was was a little bit of a brat, so I probably deserved it. And I can say, and she's an example of that. But boy, when, when some, like I remember when I was at Lighthouse, I was the youth director there, and there were some of the parents there that I hadn't been around really that much. You know, we weren't real close, but these people loved me like crazy because I was close to their kids. Because I was, I was blessing their kids. Some of the kids I was even kind of mean to sometimes, just because teenagers need it sometimes. but we were close and those people they knew I loved their kids. Their kids loved me, and it made me important to them. And listen, God there, there's people out there, all of us that God loves like you cannot imagine. People out there that Jesus Christ died on a cross for. People that are on their way to hell and God does not want that for them. God wants them to get saved. And when He sees you go and you do something for those people, it means a lot to God. It probably means more to God than it does to that individual. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verse 14 it says, Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in the land within thy gates. And this day thou shalt have his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. You do not want... There are certain people you don't want crying against you in the Bible. There are several verses in the book of Proverbs. You do not want the poor crying out against you. You do not want to do those people wrong. You do not want to do things to make their situation worse. You do not want to be in a situation where you can help them and you do absolutely nothing if they cry out to God about you. It's a curse. It is a dangerous situation for you to be in. God hears their prayers. You don't want children crying out against you to God. God hears the prayer of those little children. Jesus Christ himself said it would be better to take a millstone and put it around your neck and to cast yourself into the sea than for you to offend a little child. That kind of thing, God is not interested in that one bit. He's not going to let that go. It's going to come back to haunt you. But boy, you take the opposite. And you do good to those people. You take the opposite and you be a blessing. To the point that they, I mean, they appreciate it, they see the Lord in what you do, and they pray on your behalf. I tell you that, God sees that, and it's going to mean a lot. And one thing that I, I just, I covet for this church, and I pray for this church is, listen, I want, my prayers are for this church, for sure, and I believe God hears them, and I believe God's going to use them. I believe your prayers. All right, for this church, and I thank God for that. I hope y'all pray for this church. I hope y'all pray for me. I hope you pray for each other. I know God hears those prayers, and God's going to use those prayers. But you know, it's one thing for us to pray for this church because we can we can do that selfishly, can't we? This is our church. But boy, when we get folks on the outside praying because we've done something for them. We've given a cold cup of water in the name of Christ. You can't lose your reward for that. And God's going to hear that prayer and God is going to pour His blessing out on this church because He knows that this is a place that can handle what I give them. This is a place that, man, they're so are so flee. I've given them a little bit and they're using every bit of it for My glory. If I give them more, they're just going to use it for My glory too. There are some people you just can't trust. With a whole lot, none of you in here would just probably go and give your. You know, my oldest is eleven. I don't know that I would want to give him a hundred dollar bill, and then send him to a carnival or something. That money could get wasted so fast. I mean, on absolutely nothing. I mean, it would it would blow your mind. You know, you you, you really can't trust them with that much money. It wouldn't be a good idea. You gotta put those restrictions and things on it. And I wonder if we're like that sometimes with God. Everything He gives us, we just take it, we go and we run with it, we waste it, we blow it on ourselves. We don't ever use it for God. But I also, I believe that when we use it in the right way, God says, you know, okay, I can trust them with more. As my kids get older, I give them more and more responsibilities. There's more and more I feel like I can trust them with as they get older. And I want God to be the same way with me personally. I want God to be the same way with this church. I know God wants to save everybody in this area. I know that God wants there to be bus ministries and hospital ministries. I mean, He wants all the ministries all over the place. Anything, just get the Gospel out. He wants the food ministries. Anything to just help meet the needs of other people. He wants those things. But the question is, is, can He trust us with those? And the truth is, if He can trust us with what we have now, then He can and He will add. He will give the great, just like in the parable of the talents, He will multiply what we have, but we're going to have to sow bountifully. Don't sow sparingly. Sow bountifully. Go ahead and think big for God. Think big for Him. Just believe that God can do great things. He's promised. The results and the results of, of this church, the giving that they did, the ministering to the saints that they did, it was God shedding His unspeakable gift of grace. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Why is it say unspeakable? Is it because we're not supposed to talk about it? No, it's not that. It's because we're not capable. Just like the song we sang, He's more than wonderful. In the song, it tries to use some of these words that mean a lot and have big meanings, but it doesn't quite cut it with God, so we, have to, we say more than wonderful. Our words that we use, the grace of God that He gives us, it's a gift that cannot completely and it definitely cannot accurately be described with our words that we have and our language that we have. It's an unspeakable gift. But those who have experienced it, those who have had it, they understand it in their heart. They know They know what it's like. They don't know how to put it in words. I wish I could put this into words in a way where Everybody can understand it, but it, we can't. We don't have words in our English language. But what I can do is I can say that if we, if you hang on to these promises, if you claim these promises of God, they do apply to you, just like they apply to them, just like they apply to me, just like they apply to other churches. They apply to this church. But this I say: He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Let's all stand together right now with their heads bowed and eyes closed.